This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Good evening. Yep, it's me, Emma Goswell. Do not go anywhere. Yeah, that's an order, because uh, I've got a corker of a show again for you. I'm going to be discussing trans women in sports with the mum of a trans athlete, finding out about the Polari Prize for LGBT fiction and meeting the new winner of Mr Brighton Bear. Yes, really. Good evening, it's me, Emma Goswell. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Thank you for joining me. There's so much coming up. Yes, the new Mr Brighton Bear is coming up later tonight. But first of all, we're going to turn our attention to more maybe athletic sporting competitions, should we say. Now, have you been like me and glued to the Olympics? I blooming love it. Goodness gracious me. I even signed up to a special channel just so that I could watch two hours worth of synchronised swimming. Sorry, artistic swimming, as it's now called, um, before it turned up on iPlayer. Can't believe the BBC weren't showing that. Shame on them. (laughs) Don't know why people don't take it seriously as a sport. It is so athletic. In fact, I will be practising it on my holidays next week. Uh, I might also be taking up skateboarding as well. Um, Sadiq Khan's promised to do the same, hasn't he, after being inspired by Sky Brown? I mean, did you see her? A 13-year-old winning a bronze medal at the Olympics. Wow. (laughs) I don't think I was doing anything when I was 13. How? Well done, Sky. Um, Also, if you were listening a couple of weeks back, I spoke to Chelsea Wolfe. She was um, USA's first trans athlete to be selected. Now, she did go to Tokyo, but she was a reserve, so she didn't actually take part. But well done to Charlotte Worthington, who won that category. It was BMX freestyle. You know where they do jumping up and they're basically flying and doing acrobatics with a bike underneath them. It's incredible. But yeah, well done to Charlotte Worthington, who won the category for Team GB and the first woman to land a 360 backflip. Wow. Um, And if you're into your cycling, we'll be talking cycling next, actually. Um, Emily Bridges was a member of Team GB cycling team and then came out as trans at just 19. Well, stay with me because I'm going to be speaking to her rather incredible and very proud mum next. Good evening and welcome to the weekend outing with myself, Emma Goswell. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago, I spoke to a athlete who was off to the Olympics, no less. Yes, Chelsea Wolfe, who was taking part as a reserve in the women's freestyle BMX. And because of that, I was contacted on Twitter by the mum of another trans athlete. I'm talking about Emily Bridges, who is a former uh, fully funded athlete on the GB cycling team. And I'm chatting now to her mum, Sandy. Sandy, thank you for contacting me, first of all, because you're a big fan of uh, Chelsea, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I just messaged sort of Chelsea and sort of we've been messaging backwards and forwards just for the last couple of months, really. I think, you know, the, the thing is, is that the LGBT community, particularly in sport, is quite tight-knit and small. So um, before Chelsea was selected, then, you know, we were kind of just supporting her, really, because I think people do need support. So, um, yeah, no, it was great to see that she got selected. It's brilliant. Just fantastic, wasn't it? And I think there's been so many LGBT athletes at this particular games that it's been it's been quite inspiring, I think. For people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think the woman that won the triple jump last night that set a new world record, she was from the LGBT community. So, you know, it's brilliant. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, and Chelsea told me that her entire team were LGBT. So the, the, oh right! The entire oh, okay. female freestyle BMX team, were oh, part of the LGBT right. community. So yeah, okay. the gayest team, gayest team at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about Emily, your daughter, then, because you know they were very, very accomplished athletes, and then presumably came to you at some point questioning their gender identity. Yeah, so you can imagine it's been a massive journey for us as a family no more so than than for em um and for me as her mum you know i'll be honest it was it was a bit of a shock but also it wasn't because there was a lot then that made sense she she'd had sort of problems i mean it's well documented sort of on a coming out article that she had a couple of years struggling with her mental health so mm. that all made sense as to why you know i thought it was different sort of issues or whatever but um and when she was younger, sort of when she was about sort of 13, 14, there'd been a discussion, I think, then about, as a lot of teenagers, sort of, they're questioning who they were and, you know, and um, we sort of had a conversation at that point and, you know, I'd said to her, listen, it doesn't matter who or what you are, I love you no matter what. And then I think I was a bit of an embarrassing mum for 
a couple of years and kept sort of trying to not dig and find it but as you do you know as a, as a parent you just want yeah, your kids to be happy and to sort of experience just normal things you're going through as a teenager but you know she didn't want to discuss anything and and I think probably again looking back you know cycling was probably her escape from everything that was going on for her and she What's was that? she was incredibly successful at cycling but I think that that was probably you know part of her escape of, of dealing with everything that was going on sort of that she was battling herself and it took her really five years to really sort through in her mind I guess what was going on you know and she didn't feel at any point during those five years where she was clearly battling and struggling a bit that that she could could come out to you or, or to anybody I guess no 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 uh, no I, well I think I think that as I say there was sort of that conversation when we were 14 where there was not coming out about sexuality but almost sort of oh I'm questioning this I'm not sure and I just sort of said you know listen you know your sexuality is not really any of my business but we love you no matter matter what and anything you want to discuss or talk to us about you know that you can do that so we're here to support you and you know we had that conversation I think we had a race then the next day so we just packed up went to the race so we reinforced that message that we love you no matter what and if there's anything you want to talk or discuss then 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 come and talk to us yeah, so, and, event- and eventually she did then yeah 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 was that and it was it was about this time last year she she'd been in a good place because the because of covid the gb squad had been sent home so they were all training home at home and she was training really where everything was really going well um but then they'd been asked to go back to manchester because it's a res- residential program and as that time got closer, she was getting more and more unsettled. And I could see that. And it was almost like I was trying to sort of think, I wonder what it is or, you know, but I, I didn't know what it was. And then it was literally sort of about three weeks before that, that effectively she broke down. It just got too much. I think that what had happened is the October before she'd moved into that programme or onto that programme, which is residential, she was sharing a house. She was sharing a house with three other young men, 18 to 23 year olds. So the culture mm. was very laddish. Yeah. And I think that probably that consolidated that, you know, that laddish culture with everything she wasn't. So I think that once she came home and kind of recognised that she knew exactly what she was. She said, she said that originally what she wanted to do was to get to Paris in 2024 and then she would transition afterwards that was in her mind right I'll keep this a secret until 2024 and then and then I'll you know walk away from sightseeing and then I'll you know I'll think about them then what I do as far as a transition which is a that's a massive thing to carry on your shoulders so um she told me it it was very emotional as you can appreciate Um, we had some very um, detailed conversations about the future and what that might look like and one of the things that I said was you know you know what this means in sport and you know my suggestion as mum is that you walk away carry on with your cycling in terms of just keeping yourself fit and healthy but you know that's like the last thing that you want will be that pressure to, to deal with with everything that entails you know you can concentrate on yourself concentrate on your transition concentrate on what that might look like for you because we all know you know and I know now that everybody's transition is different and unique to them so but it what sounds like be you've more... been on a real learning curve oh wow, wow. as well because yeah. I mean there are massive so I, I, massive. I interview hundreds of people to hear their coming out stories and but I very rarely speak to the parents but you know there's yeah. some awful examples of parents not even understanding what it means to be gay let alone be trans so I mean did you have yeah. any experience or any knowledge no of what that involves absolutely not 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 at all for me I think that probably my first response was probably similar to to many parents you know it it wasn't something that I understood for sure it made me challenge my own biases and prejudices and in fact you know to a certain extent Em led me on that you know she said well what I'd like you to do now because I said you're gonna have to help me because I don't understand this I'm scared I'm frightened I'm wondering what this is going to mean for you so the first thing she did was point me to disclosure she said first of all mum I want you to go and watch the documentary disclosure 
and that's what I did I did I watched the disclosure documentary I don't even know about that one so that's oh yeah about it's award winning Mm. it's it's a whole thing just generally about the trans community and how you know the media historically in the past have portrayed trans people so for my generation I'm a boomer you know I'm 58 you Mm. know our generation grew up uh, our interpretation of what trans people were were a man dressed as a woman on it ain't half hot mum which again you that wouldn't get screened these days you know we had silence of the lambs where the the killer was a you know a, a man that wanted to to be a woman so it's it's fueling all these horrendous yeah, yeah. all these horrendous fear-based fears it made me realize that again some of those I wasn't even aware, aware that 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 was sort of views that I not I didn't have those views but but I had no experience I didn't know any trans no but it's very honest of you to, no. to say that yeah, admit, admit yeah. That it was quite difficult you know if you'd yeah of course it was. to say say that to you but it sounds yeah. like you've you've totally embraced her obviously and your the love of your child is the most important thing of course it is and, and did you you didn't struggle with pronouns at all then because I've spoken to a lot of trans people whose parents just cannot get the pronouns right or and dead name um, them all the time <laughs> and says she was shocked that actually out of everybody I'm the one that, that pretty much got it right from the start and you know it was difficult because I was incredibly proud of everything she's achieved beforehand that's as an athlete as a person as an individual you know I've been so proud of those achievements that there was a strong identity it, I think it was hard in the beginning but you I just get used to it I don't I, I just see her now as Emily you know I mm-hmm. see her as me and my daughter so mm-hmm. I think that part of it is that you know we're on this journey together it's her journey but right at this moment because of what is going on in the media on on what you know what is happening or whatever then she needs my support and I need to be there and I need to be an advocate for her well that's what we're going to go on to talk about actually isn't it because you are such a in fact your twitter handle is sandy ally I think isn't it so you are (laughs) you are such a fighter for trans rights and particularly trans athletes so that's what I want to go on to talk to you about actually but let's have a break for a record and then we'll be back with sandy telling us all about how she's fighting for the rights for particularly trans women in sport, actually. Hello, it's me, Emma Goswell. Thanks for joining me this Sunday evening. This is my weekend outing, and um, we're turning attention to sport again. It seems to be very sporty, my programme these days, because <laughs> I'm speaking to Sandy. She's the mum of Emily Bridges, who was um, formerly on the uh, GB cycling team. And Sandy, you've just blown me away with just how much of a journey you've been on. And, and how loving and caring you are as a mum, because it isn't always easy. It's, it isn't an obvious thing to do to suddenly be a parent to a trans child, but you seem to have just totally embraced it and, and gone with it, haven't you? <laughs> I don't think Em gave me a choice. <laughs> um, I mean, when we, you know, em, Emma, when we had the conversation about, you know, what she wanted to do, and we looked at the options, and I sort of said about uni and sort of focusing just on herself, She's never been one to want attention. She's never been one to want the limelight. Obviously, I understand why now, Mm. because I think she was frightened to sort of for people to find out this secret that she was carrying. But she said to me, Mum, I know what you're saying. I understand the reasons that you're saying it. I know what this entails, but I feel that because of the position that I've had on the GB squad, that I need to fight for the right of trans people. I don't want anybody else to go through what I've gone through, i.e. there was no transgender policy in place. You know, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to look. And I was thinking of coming out to my sport governing body. And I'm now in a position where I can use that for all that entails. And I, how could I not support her? To actually make that decision at 19 years of age and to carry that knowing everything that that entailed and and, and, you know we had that conversation of what that would look like how could I not support her how how as a mum could I not support that yeah so she's still very young then so she's what only 20 now She's 20. Yeah, yeah she's 20. Gosh, yeah, so still so, really, really yeah, young. Yeah. So, so what, what is going to happen then with her, with her future cycling career then? She said she wants to carry on with her cycling. She's been doing it since she was 10. So she's been doing it for half of her life. 
when she started, there was, you know, there wasn't this thought of, oh, well, you know, I want to get to the Olympics or that, that progressed. You know, it was, we sat in the velodrome um, in 2012, watching the Olympic team at their holding camp at Newport. And she mm. said, I'd love to give that a go, mum. She'd already started, but she'd only been doing it for a few months. But she said, oh, I'd love to have a go at racing. So this, this is her thing. I really believe that everybody has their thing, whether it's art or academia or you know whatever somebody's thing is sport is Emily's thing why should she not be able to pursue that you know the people that turn around and say oh you know trans women in sport why should a trans woman or a trans man not be able to pursue a career in something that really is their thing you know you wouldn't that wouldn't happen in any other sector would it no exactly so why should it be in sport no, and people do go on to have fantastic careers, don't they? But it, it, yeah. is, it is difficult, isn't it? So you have to prove testosterone levels and hormone yeah. levels and all sorts of things, don't you, before you can yeah. go on. So yeah. she's, she's essentially given up her dream of being in the Paris Olympics in three years' time, hasn't she? Because she's going to transition instead then. That's, that's the plan. She's transitioning now. Yeah. So it depends on, you know, we, we can already see the changes that, that it's made, particularly there's, there's science that's, that's um, been documented previously about the impact that it has on your cardiovascular system, your VO2 max, your, your haemoglobin level. So we, we can already see that. But one of the things that Em wanted to do, one of the first things she said was she'd found out herself about a uh, an IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, funded project which looks into athletic performance for transgender people as they transition. And she said, I want to be part of that. And again, I was, you know, I don't want you to end up as a guinea pig. I don't want you to feel that, you know, you really need to think about it. But it's one of the things that she insisted on. And, she, you know, she's, she's part of that. She's already been tested. And the good thing is, because she's been at the level that she's been previously we have a huge amount of data about yeah. her athletic performance for the last four years so we can document we're already documenting it we're already looking at it and it, it's pretty amazing and especially I think at the moment with all the rhetoric and the noise that's going on around Laurel Hubbard one of the big messages that is coming through is about the research well M is probably one of the very few athletes that's been <laughs> at a really high level beforehand that then goes through a transition so it's going to be really important research for future policies it's going to be really important for future athletes isn't it that there is research and evidence out there but there's actually very little that's specific and has used trans women athletes so athletes not trans women but trans women athletes because how many trans women athletes would want to step into that arena? Look, look at the backlash mm. they get, you know? It's <laughs> well, this is something that's got you really riled up, hasn't it? Because um, I'm guessing you've seen everything that's been out there from the big anti-trans lobby across the world. And yep. you're terrified that, you know, they're going to probably come for Emily or have come for they, Emily. They, they, they've already done it, you know. Mm. So when she came out in October, within two hours... You know, there was a post on one of the, the the female chat sites, and then within two hours, another two hours after that, it was on Twitter. They were dead naming her. They were making comments like, <laughs> "They've achieved X, Y, and Z. If they repeat this performance, that you know, it's going to be two seconds faster than the female rail record." The thing is, they they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. The the thing I mentioned earlier, it's playing on people's fears because they know the people that run these groups. They know there is an impact, you know, by testosterone. They're the same people that are campaigning for the removal of puberty blockers for, for young trans mm. kids. They're the people that are saying they have devastating impact on, on young trans people. This shouldn't be allowed. And yet they're then saying that there's no impact when you're a young athlete, you know, when you're an athlete. In, yeah, the logic's not, the logic is not really there, is it, Sandy? But, I mean, their argument, I guess, is it's an unfair playing field because um, trans athletes will have more testosterone, therefore they will be stronger, they will be faster, and it's unfair. So that's their basic argument, isn't it, I think. What would you yeah. say to them? If, you, if they were listening, 
anyone from those groups or the the anti-trans lobby were listening what what would you say to them to defend okay so so I, I think fairness it's a right question and you could see that by them saying you know M is is two seconds faster than the world record when she was 18 years of age it's a valid concern but the science certainly as far as endurance is concerned it looks to mitigate some of the advantage that people are referring to and sport isn't fair anyway sport mm -hmm. is full of unfairness let, let me tell you something I, I used to be an athlete at 12 years of age oh. I set a world long jump record really? today Sunday. 46 46 years later that world record still stands and it shouldn't do but as a 12 year old I had the physicality of somebody 18 or 19 which is why I jumped the sort of distances I did I did yeah. at that particular point so sport itself is full of sociological disadvantages physical advantages anyway yeah. what level of unfair advantage should there be in M's case she was a world level athlete she came fourth mm. at the world championship and we found out two weeks later she'd ridden that on a broken ankle so what? she's phenomenal yeah. she's phenomenal as an athlete so that record or, or that achievement that she made was two seconds faster than the women's world record so what mitigates that advantage so if we now say well she's 10 seconds slower or 12 seconds slower is that is that enough or is mm. it going to be that you're just not allowed to win sport or you're just not allowed to win the issue is is that that the people that, that are, are lobbying and very vocal about this do not want trans women in sport per se so they use all of this rhetoric just to fuel it to justify that actually they just don't want trans women in sport but they probably don't know any trans people do they they probably never met a trans person in their life i know i know that the people that are you know that are very very vocal on the certainly on the sports side that are talking about the research and the evidence and, and coming up with with clinical papers there is not one trans athlete that would step into a lab with those people. So you have to ask why. Well, they don't. And the reason that they don't is because they are anti-trans and they're transphobic and they have very bigoted views. They don't want trans women's sport, And they're not interested in a valid and sensible conversation. They're not yeah. interested in that sensible conversation and you told me before you were a bit bemused by it all and a bit scared by it all because you just think that a lot of these women are you know maybe got the same backgrounds as yourself and you know the women that are same sort of age as you but you know maybe same sort of similar upbringings but they're just totally on the other side of the fence on this one aren't they? yeah yeah and the wrong side yeah. of history actually on this one yeah yeah and i think you know i think there's just so much vitriol and it's such a vitriolic conversation you know, and it's it's against somebody's child, or do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. I, I don't I don't understand it as a woman. I don't I don't. It's something that is very alien to me as a woman, and I'm passionate, and I've I've fought myself for, you know, I want equality in pay, and I I want things to be equal. I want I want sport. I mean, sport. You know, women's sport. As I say, I've been an athlete. You know. <laughs> When I was competing, women couldn't do triple jump because it was supposed to be really bad for their their hips. You, you really? know, it's just ridiculous. Know yeah. yeah, triple jump and pole so, vault weren't allowed. So I you know, didn't know that. So yeah. what are you doing then, apart from you know, rang with people on Twitter or and speaking out on Virgin Radio Pride? Is there any sort of other yeah. practical steps you're taking to 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 combat transphobia in sport? There, there's a lot that I'm doing behind the scenes. There's, there's a lot. Obviously, I'm supporting Emily. So the focus is for her to, to really focus as much as she can sort of on her training and what she's doing um, and all the other stuff. You know, I have had meetings with my local MPs. I've met with them several times already. You know, I have written letters. I have meetings with governing bodies of sport. Um, I did recently after the Laurel Hubbard um, announcement, I did write to the Prime Minister of Arden in New Zealand and got a response from, from her and the office because obviously we've got a Commonwealth Games next year. We'd also been invited to, to give evidence sort of at a parliamentary committee. And so, so there's lots going on behind the scenes. I see my job is to really try and make things as easy 
as possible for her. And we can't do that more on her own. And it's actually been, I have to say, it's the LGBT community that have embraced us. And that's been phenomenal. You know, that's been absolutely phenomenal. Well, we like to protect our own and we like to (laughs) stick together. (laughs) That's for sure. And we like equality and fairness and who wouldn't really? Yeah. So what's yeah. next for, for Emily then? What, um, it's going to be a few years in terms of transition. Yeah, then... yeah. So she's, you know, she's going to continue sort of with her training. She's going back to uni in the autumn. So she's continuing with her studies as well. Um, she's got right. sessions with her, you know, with the, with the laboratory again. Um, and there's also, there's also going to be a documentary on her as well, which is fab. Oh, right. Where can we watch that, Lynn? Is that... It won't be until next year. Oh, it's in the, pi- in the pipeline, right. Yeah, okay. in the pipeline. And the, but yeah. then the, the ultimate aim is for her to compete at, um, at that level again. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's what you're aiming for, isn't it? That's the whole... Yeah. So, yeah. so there are, there's a UCI policy in place, um, which is the World Governing Body of Cycling. And when she becomes eligible, then, then yeah, the objective is for her to, you know, having completed that and there's a big justification process that you have to go to that she will be competing again fantastic well we wish her all the best of luck thank Um, you but before you go actually what would be nice is if there are any trans people who are into their sport or into athletics and they're scared about getting involved or they're worried about the backlash what would you say to them just to encourage them to to keep going really there are lots of organizations that are out there that, that support the lgbt community in sport so there's people like um, Pride Sports UK there's LGBT Sport Cymru there's Leap Sports Scotland throughout England Wales and Scotland there are organizations that I would say they are there to support you and and they were the type of organizations that that definitely held our our hands and also you know for, for trans athletes it's you know if you're competing and you're moving up the ladder then trans athletes will be looking for their policies they'll be looking for trans inclusion policies so it's almost a message for ngbs national government they need to, they need to get their policies in place and it shouldn't just be about elite athletes it is about inclusion you know we all know the benefits of sport and exercise for just our general mental health and well-being and it should be accessible to everybody absolutely so. amen to that and um, I tell you what, Emily's got the right mother supporting her and fighting her corner. So um, Thank I'm, sure you. She, I'm sure she's as proud of you as you are of her. <laughs> I'm not sure about that because I'm a mum at the end of the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> A big thank you to Sandy, uh, the mum of Emily Bridges. What a great woman. What a great interview. Do follow her on Twitter, by the way. She is Sandy Ally, because she's such an ally, isn't she, to the whole LGBT community, actually. Um, So, yeah, give her a follow. She's an inspiring mum. And uh, all the best to her and to Emily for her future cycling career. Um, That is certainly not the end of inspiring people on my show, though. Absolutely not. Um, On the weekend that should have been Brighton Pride, we'll be meeting the new Mr Brighton Bear 2021. Yep. Uh, But in the next hour, I'll be putting my literary hat on and finding out all about the Polari Salon and the Polari LGBT Literature Prize. Coming up next, I'm going to be speaking to crime writer Paul Burston. Not about crime novels particularly, although a little bit, but more about how difficult it can be for LGBT writers and for really good LGBT stories to get taken seriously by the publishing industry. Um, And most importantly, we're going to be talking about what he's done to make it easier for future writers. He's up next. Yes, it's me, Emma Goswell, and this is my weekend outing. Time to get our literary thinking caps on because I'm about to chat to Paul Burston. He's the man behind the Polari Prize and the Polari LGBT Literary Salon. Evening, Paul. Hello, nice to be here. Well, wonderful to be chatting to you again. I feel like we could probably talk all night, but we'll try and keep it uh, slightly more succinct than that. But for people that haven't heard of you before about your prize or or the literary salon, just to explain exactly what it is, how how it all started. Well, Polari started because in 2007, I published my third novel. And I'd also published by by then four or five nonfiction books as well. So I I had about eight books out. And I'd never once been invited to any kind of book festival ever. What? And I was so, so peed off about it. Yes, well said. <laughs> I thought, I, thought I, can either, I can either sit here and be bitter and twisted or I can do something about it. So I decided to create a night. I was DJing at the time. I was, I was, I was sort of doing sort of indie pop 
alternative DJing in, in London bars and clubs. And one of the venues I worked at called the Green Carnation in Soho offered me a regular gig. And I decided that I would use that as an opening and I would create this literary night where I would DJ and play music. And then at some point in the evening, we'd stop the music and there'd be a poet or an author would come and give a reading. Oh, nice. And the, 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 managers of the bar were really into it the owner wasn't wasn't convinced at all he thought the, as soon as the music stopped everybody would just run screaming right. into the streets I of Soho. Like, poetry in a gay <laughs> bar in Soho I don't think yeah. so yeah. I mean it was called the Green Carnation and there were pictures of quotes from Oscar Wilde on the walls it was yeah. kind of begging for a literary salon really yeah um, and it started very small that's how it started it was just a kind of almost a kind of activist stunt really it was me sort of being an activist really and sort of saying well there's a problem here I want to there's a gap I'm going to create something and make things change and very very quickly it sort of snowballed and it went from being a night of music with one author to being more authors and less music until eventually it became a full-blown salon with with up to five people reading so we, we started Green Carnation we outgrew that, that venue we moved to Trash Palace um, in Soho. Then we moved to Freedom Bar on Wardour Street. And then somebody from Southbank Centre came one night and said, you should bring it to us. Wow. So, so hang on a minute. This um, this bar manager was proved well and truly wrong then. There was yeah. an appetite for a literary <laughs> evening amongst the gays, wasn't there? Well, honestly, the, the last the last event we held at Green Carnation, there were queues down the street to get in. I mean, it was crazy because wow. it was such a small room. We were, in a, we were in a very small room upstairs and we couldn't let, we couldn't get everyone in. So when we, we moved to South Bank in 2009, and we've been there ever since, and we showcase established LGBT names, so authors and poets that people will be familiar with, because they're the people that bring in an audience, but we also give a platform to new and emerging writers. So if there's a bill of usually four or five people, there'll be at least one or two on that bill who maybe people haven't heard of yet or maybe yeah. haven't even read in public before. Which is why you did it, I guess, because, you yeah. know, well, first of all, it was sort of selfish reasons that you wanted yeah. publicity for your books and it's yeah. a hard craft being a writer and you want to sell more books. Um, but then, of course, now it's become about nurturing those, those, those young and unheard of writers as well, of which there are many, I'm sure. <laughs> There are not, not not necessarily young either. Often new writers are, are older and they've 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 retired or they've they've just had a change in career and they've started writing later in life. When we, we run workshops a lot when we tour, and also we do them online at the moment, obviously because of the current situation. And honestly, the people that come to the workshops are all ages, and so often oftentimes the new writers we have aren't necessarily younger. They they can be older, but they are new to writing or they're new to maybe they've written in the past but they've never really sort of pursued it with any kind of proper dedication and now they've really dedicated themselves to it and they've written their first book or for me I think it's incumbent upon those of us who create a platform to use it to, to help other people I don't I, I don't I don't think it should ever just be a selfish endeavor it should be mm. once, you, once you've got once, you, once you've achieved the aim that you that you set out to, to achieve then share share it so Polari is very much about you know live, giving offering the ladder up to those other people to come up and and, and share that platform and you started it, as you said at the beginning, because, you know, you weren't getting the recognition from, you know, the straight literary festivals. Do you think that's still the case? Do you think LGBT authors can get forgotten about? I think it's changing. I think that publishing on, on the whole is changing. I mean, the buzzwords now are diversity and, and equality hmm. and buzzwords in the publishing world. I do think there's still some way to go. I think there's still the case that too many publishers and festival producers think that if they just pop a little LGBT thing on the end then that's that covered mm. and that to me is not how to do it properly the way you do it properly is to actually give a space that that is dedicated to LGBTQ voices but also ensure that those voices are also heard across the program and across the publishing world not just mm. not not just sort of ticking boxes yeah. I mean when I when I when I program events I don't I don't think in terms of ticking boxes I think in terms of diversity actually being a strength so for me um, as a white gay man I wouldn't want to host an event where there were four other authors on the bill and they're all white gay men I've been to many events Quite. like that by the way many mm -hmm. many events like that and I don't think that's how you do it I think you, the way you do it is that you you use a platform that's created in the name of diversity and you make it as diverse as possible within itself so you mm -hmm. have all kinds of people within that bill that makes it for a much a far better event as a producer i find it much more more entertaining and enjoyable to program 
and it makes for a much better uh, viewer experience or, or, or audience member experience because and people see themselves reflected. Absolutely. And are you focusing on LGBT writers or people that write about LGBT issues or does that always go hand in hand? Because I mean, I don't think, I mean, forgive me, I've not read any of your books, Paul, but they're not specifically gay stories, are they? Or are they? They're, they're crime they novels, are, right? They are. They are. I mean, I've written, I've had six novels published so far and five of them have gay protagonists. My first crime novel, which is called The Black Path, which came out in 2016, was the first novel that I'd written that didn't have a gay protagonist. There is a, there is a gay character and there is, there is a gay twist in the storyline, but, but the main, the main character is a straight woman who's married to a soldier. And there is a subplot involving a, an out gay soldier serving in the ranks beside her husband and, and rumours spreading about, about them. Mm. Um, but my most recent novel, The Closer I Get, has a gay protagonist. It's about a gay novelist who is has an online admirer and the relationship sort of tips over into something quite, quite dangerous and scary. I had an experience myself of, of having an online stalker. Some oh, gosh. Ago, so um, it was in, partly inspired by that. Gosh. So yeah, I mean, I mean my, my books do tend to be pretty gay. In terms of who, who we have on at Polari, then the event is themed around LGBTQ voices. That doesn't mean that everyone on the bill necessarily identifies as such. I mean, we just did Heaven last week. When we do Heaven, we also we always have a musical act because you're at Heaven and it seems silly not to have a musical act on at Heaven. And we had um, Emma Dears and Helen Shields performing as Judy and Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli. I mean, what wow. could be more gay than that? Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, so, I love you know, it. It's, 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 it's quite a broad canvas, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So you think probably that the, back in the day when you were getting turned down for, to literary festivals or not getting invited, that it was literally homophobia, that the crime world wants to just carry on doing what it's doing and doesn't want to be shaken up and, you know, actually have gay protagonists and stories, maybe. Well, to be fair, I wasn't writing crime there and I was writing rom-coms, but they were very dark rom-coms. And I think part of it was to do with sort of intellectual snobbery that, Literary mm. fiction is, is is acceptable in a way that rom-coms or comedy isn't. Comedy is seen as being somehow lesser. So there's certainly an element of that. But there is there is there was certainly an element of heterosexism, and I think some of that hasn't gone away. I think there's still that is still embedded. Yeah. Well, I certainly remember when um, my friend and colleague here on Virgin Radio Pride, Matt Kane, bought out his um, book before the last one called The Madonna of Bolton, and he had to like crowdfund it. To, you know, all publishers went. Oh, what? A story about a man growing up and realising he's gay in Bolton and no, we're not interested. You know, really, really couldn't get anybody to publish it. So went self-publishing. Absolutely bonkers, really. The there publishers is, would have that attitude. There is still a lot of that. There is still, I mean, I think like like all, like many big businesses, publishing is very risk averse. Mm. So I think a lot of people... I think the individual people themselves in publishing, they may consider themselves allies. They may even be LGBTQ themselves, but they are very risk averse and, and, and persuading the business model to take a risk on something which they consider to be risky can be difficult. So there's still that, there's still that challenge. And I think what Matt came up against on that occasion was was a, was a great big dose of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think I, I think it's I, th I think it's actually really wrong-headed because I think the, the idea that somehow readers, you know, the idea that somehow books about a character like his character would only appeal to gay readers is very very naive and very patronising. It really I mean, is, I, isn't it? You know, I mean, and I, as I, he I, found out, you know, there's plenty of um, straight women that wanted to read that book and people from all sectors of life. You know, absolutely. And you know, I mean. I was I was give this example, but you know, years ago when I was very young, and I someone gave me this book called The Color Purple to read, and I was completely engrossed in it. And I'm not a black woman from America. Whoa, <laughs> who again? I mean, this, this, this ridiculous notion that somehow readers cannot escape into other people's lives. That's what fiction is for. Exactly what it's fiction for. Fiction exists to take us outside ourselves and teach us mm. other experiences and walk in someone else's shoes. That's the point. Good evening. It's the weekend outing with myself, Emma Goswell, and I'm in conversation tonight with Paul Burston, who is a novelist and is the brains behind Polari, the Polari Literary Salon for LGBT writers and the Polari Prize. I suppose we kind of missed this in the, the beginning of our chat, Paul, but just for people that aren't aware, tell us why you chose the name Polari and, and how important Polari is to our community. Well, I'd got this night arranged. I got the, the date for it. I didn't have a name for it. Mm. And I was just struggling to think what, what to call it. And it just came to me because to me, Polari was, well, is 
the gay the the so-called gay slang the it used to be called the lost language of gay men it's, it's mm. it was it was a slang that was used not just by gay people it was used by other people as well but it was certainly popularized by people like Kenneth Williams on round the horn on the radio back 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 in the 60s it was a kind of coded way of talking um, at a time when speaking openly could get you arrested mm. so basically people started adopting this language that they could use to talk about other men and and so it's full of innuendo and sexual innuendo and people use it in order to communicate without the straight people around them knowing what they were talking about I love so, it. It's like being sort of secret spies, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a sort secret of secret gays. Yeah. So to, to me, it kind of says gay language, and and so hmm. it just it just seems an obvious name, really, for for a salon that's dedicated to you know the gay spoken word. Yeah, and I don't know much Polari, but the only Polari I think that's come into modern usage, but people don't always realise, and that's the word naff. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, which means not available for education. Yes. I'm going to say, but yes. you can use other words beginning with F, should you wish. Yeah. <laughs> so it refers it actually refers to a straight man doesn't it really well I mean that, that was one of the bitter ironies when you know some years ago the word gay became slang among younger people for something mm. that was considered naff <laughs> so it kind of it kind mm. of turned on its head you know but yes it, it, it did and there was there was there were there are a few words that that have made that that still get used and when I first came out in the 80s and mid 80s I arrived in London and I would still hear um, people in places like the RVT and some of the older pubs like the Black Cab in Camden. And mm. you still hear some of the older drag queens and performers speaking in Polari then. Wow. You, you wouldn't hear it now, but back then you'd still hear people speaking it. Yeah, um, Betty Bourne used to, Betty Bourne from Blue Lips used to, would speak it and people like that. So I've always been interested in it and I'm interested in subculture anyway. Um, and it just seemed like the obvious name for the for the salon. So we just named it on the night and then we stuck with it. <laughs> and over the years, as you said, it's been going um, over 10 years now. You've had some really big names involved, haven't you? Including one of our everybody's favourite, Russell T Davis, amongst others. Yeah, we've had we've had pretty much everyone I can think of, really. I mean, I don't think there are any of the sort of big LGBTQ writers in this country that we haven't had on by now yeah sarah waters val mcdermott yeah I'm sure yeah. yeah jackie Kay. oh love jackie Kay. Yeah. um we'd be yeah we started 2007 so we'll be it'll be our 15th birthday next year which is kind of surreal oh started as a kind of little group of, i mean literally honestly, the first event was literally me and a few friends it really was it was it was like a dozen people coming to support me yeah but it's grown into this big prize as well so tell us a bit about that because you've just uh, announced your shortlist haven't you for the polari prize yeah so basically what happened was that polari got to the south bank in 2009 and in the space of two years it became really apparent that there was such a huge wealth of emerging talent out there and there was no real focus I mean publishing is a very very you know there's a lot of focus in, in publishing on a very few books so publishing publishes lots of books and throws all its money behind a few books that's how it works yep. and if you've got a small independent publisher bringing out a book they're not going to have necessarily the resources to finance lots of publicity and marketing and if you're with a bigger publisher you're likely to get you know swallowed up by the other by the other authors that they're, they're they're focusing on so it seemed to me that if we could create a prize a book prize that was basically focused on celebrating books that explored in some way or other lgbtq plus characters themes situations storylines then that would give it a focus so we created this prize called the polari first book prize in 2011 this prize which continues to this day is for a debut book and it can be it can include self-published work because it became very clear to me as well at the time we launched it that self-publishing had really gone through a huge shift. It had gone from being this sort of basically vanity publishing mm. to being something that was much more reputable. And although there's still some books being published that frankly should never never be published, a lot of the books being published that, that have been published by self-publishing simply for the reasons that we talked about earlier in the conversation, which is that it's so difficult to get those stories out into the mainstream. So a lot of people, because of the internet and because of Amazon and Kindle and so on and e-publishing, took it upon themselves to publish their own work. So it seemed to me that we should be open to those books as well. So we launched the prize in 2011 and 
to be honest with you, the first couple of years, there weren't a huge number of submissions. I mean, there were enough to make it worth doing, but they weren't, we weren't overwhelmed by them. And I think possibly as, as word spread, because obviously we're based in London, so it's still very quite London-centric. And at that point, at that point, we weren't touring. So it took a while for it to really sort of get a momentum going. But by about 2014, we did our first UK tour then that year, funded by the Arts Council. And I think a combination of us being on tour and having a much higher profile around the country, and possibly more people were, were, were actually getting books out there and, and, and doing the work and getting the books out, the number of submissions just increased massively. So, and it, 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 it's, it's continued, that, that trend has continued. And now you've got how many? God, I mean, I, honestly, this, I mean, this year we have, we, we have, we now have two prizes because in 2019, we added a second prize for non-debut books. So there's now two prizes. There's one for emerging writers and one for established writers. And this year, the number of submissions were well into the hundreds. Wow. Prizes, okay. yeah. So and I know lot, it's going to be difficult for you to pick some of your favourites, and you probably can't talk about them, but are there any highlights for people to look out for in terms of really good new LGBT writers? Well, I mean, the books on our, on our shortlist, we've announced our shortlists very recently, and there are some fantastic books in there. So from established writers, you've got people like Dana Suami, who's written a, a new book. It's called no, Mod no Modernism Without Lesbians, which is fantastic historical biography of, of, of lesbians who contributed to modernism and the modernism movement. Wow. Then there's books like Forced Out by Kevin Maxwell, which is about being a, the experience of being a black gay police officer and the troubles and, 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 the, and the problems that he encountered in working okay. in the force. You've got Rosie Garland, Manchester's Manchester's finest, Rosie Garland, um, What Girls Do in the Dark, which is a wonderful poetry collection. We have um, Gonu Schnur, whose book is called The Ministry of Guidance, which is a short story collection. And she writes largely about the experience of being Iranian and what it means to be an Iranian, both in Iran and also in Britain, and, and being part of the queer community. So she writes about homophobia and she writes about racism. So there's there's a lot of sort of intersectionality going on in, in the shortlist this year. They're very, Isn't very it? culturally yeah. diverse and ethnically diverse. Which is people great. are probably best to go to the website, aren't they, and see the shortlist and support these authors, I guess. Yeah, so yeah, just remind to, us of the website. It's polarisalon.com. And if you go to the website, you'll see a, a little tab on the top saying um, Polari Prize. Just click on there and it's all there. Well, we haven't got long, but before we go, I guess people might want some tips on uh, how to get started and um, write their first novel and get it nominated for a Polari Prize. What would be your top tip then, do you think, Paul? You know, the, the, the only secret to writing is to sit, is just literally sit yourself down and do it. I mean, honestly, there are so, it's, it's, it's so easy, even, even for people like me who've been doing it professionally for a long time. It's so easy to find other things to do to distract yourself. I mean, honestly, the, the, the number of distraction techniques I have in the morning when I should be writing. I must, I must just check my Twitter. I must make a cup of tea. I must do that. I must do this. I must do that. Just sit down and write. And mm. even if, even if you, your schedule only allows you an hour a day or half an hour a day, or you do it on your commute, you literally do it while you're commuting and you write on, on your phone or on a notepad. If you just spend some time each day working on, on on a project then over over the space of you know months and, and up, up to, say to a year you'll end up you'll end up with the book I mean if you get if you if you manage to do 500 words you know I mean I I, I aimed I, I try to aim to do 500 words a day which to me is quite a lot some people I know write a lot more than that and some people write less but if you can do that and stick to it you'll get a book out and also be aware that there'll be a point in, in the writing of your book where you'll think it's the worst book anyone has ever written. All <laughs> authors have that experience. Trust me. Glad to hear that. <laughs> it's usually around the two thirds of the way through, Mark, that it happens. Oh, God. You think, oh my God, this is terrible. No one's going to want to read this. But I honestly, I, I know very few authors who don't have that experience. So that is good to know. Don't, don't, don't listen to that voice. Just keep uh, going. I, quickly before you go, I know you've got a few events coming up, haven't you, in September? So what, what can we look forward to in your calendar? We've got September the 16th, we're in Manchester at GAY Bar on Canal Street. And on September 24th, we're at the RBT in Vauxhall. Yes. And then on September the 30th, we're at a new venue called the Ironworks in Brighton. So we've got three things in three, three events in September spread across the country. We, well, we've also got events coming up in October, then going forward up in Edinburgh and Newcastle. Fingers crossed that we can these these will go ahead, but at the moment it looks like they will. So wonderful. Well, no excuse not to get involved then. And uh, fingers crossed, I will be at the Manchester one, Paul. 
excellent. If you, if you can let me read some of my book, that'd be great. If not, don't worry. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been wonderful talking to you. And uh, we need to go to your website as well, don't we? And um, find details about your book as well. Yeah, paulburston.com. And you can read all about The Closer I Get. And there's also um, a piece there, which is there's a, there's a hyperlink on there to a piece about the true story that inspired it. So I wrote a piece for The Guardian about my experience of having an online stalk because it ended up going to court. There was a court mm. case, the whole thing. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was quite an experience. <laughs> well, I hope it all resolved itself in the end and uh, hopefully I'll have a best-selling novel out of it. So, yeah. Fingers very crossed. Glad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, fingers crossed, exactly. So, yes, everyone go out and buy Paul's book. That's an order. Yes, please. <laughs> Good evening. It's me, Emma Goswell. This is me weekend outing. Yeah, big thank you to Paul Burston. If you want to find out a little bit more about him and his uh, books, crime or otherwise, he is simply paulburston.com. And if you're interested in um, going to one of those amazing events, um, I've been booked for the event in Manchester, the Polari event at GAY. It's on September the 16th. It's not just me, other more eminent authors as well. Uh, I'll be reading from my book, Coming Out Stories. Does what it says on the tin. Go and get a copy. Um, I'll also have a few of the contributors there telling their own very personal coming out story. More info on that and other events they've got going on at polarisalon.com. Hey, stay with us here on Virgin Radio Pride, though, because coming up in the next hour, we're off to Brighton to meet some bears. Sorry. Good evening. It's me, Emma Goswell. This weekend, first weekend in August, um, it's always a bit of a big one, isn't it? There's Rewind. Now, if you don't know this, it is a big 80s festival. I love it. I've been several times singing along to the likes of Jimmy Somerville, Banana Rama, and Billy Ocean. Or, and it's always a big toss-up between what you're going to do at this weekend, isn't it? More often than not, I would be at Brighton Pride. Gutted that it was cancelled. I'm sure it was really tough, but right decision by the organisers to cancel the big parade and festival this year just to keep everybody safe. Having said that, there are some small events taking place. So if you are in that neck of the woods, there are things like comedy, cabaret, music, theatre, all going on at the Ironworks. Uh, you can check out all those events. They're going on for the next few weeks as well. Brighton-Pride.org. Um, anyway, in lieu of actually being there this weekend, I thought I'd catch up with some Brighton superstars of the furry variety. Yeah, stay tuned, because next you're going to meet the organiser of the Brighton Bear Weekend. We'll also be finding out a bit about the Brighton Rainbow Fund, and we'll be meeting the brand-new winner of Mr Brighton Bear 2021. Good evening and welcome to the weekend outing with myself, Emma Goswell. And I'm very excited because we are off down the woods to meet some bears, kind of. Well, we're off to Brighton to meet Graham, who's the chair of Brighton Bear Weekend, and Kevin, the reigning champion. Uh, Kevin, tell us your official title, please. Yeah, my official title, uh, Emma, thank you, is uh, Mr Brighton Bear 2021. And I am so thrilled that behind you is the sash to prove that you are, in fact, Mr. Brighton Bear 2021. Congratulations. How does it feel? Thank you. <laughs> uh, I feel great. I feel brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Really, really proud as well. Uh, well, I want to go into more about the competition and how you want it and what it means. Um, but first, Graham, just tell us hello. a little bit. Hello. Just tell us a little bit about the weekend. And, and actually, we should probably start at the very beginning, just in case there's anybody listening, thinking, what the hell is going on here now on this radio station? Why are they talking to humans as though they're bears? If people aren't aware, just explain. Oh, bears, yes. yes. Well, bears are kind of gay slang for big, hairy, normally bearded men. I mm. kind of think of lumberjacks or kind of big rugby players, mm. uh, like Joe Malone or something like that. So it, it's kind of very masculine. But from that, there's a whole subculture. There's kind of, there's cubs, there's wolves, there's... So cubs are younger bears, are they? Younger don't you? bears, there's yeah. polar bears. Um, oh, is that one with a silver tinge? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the grey-haired the older ones. <laughs> yeah. You're not quite there yet, Kevin. I'm not quite there, yeah. No, no, I'm getting there. The beard's grey. There's otters. Oh, yes. Remind me what an otter is, then. Otters are a bit like myself, actually. They're kind of like... You can't see this on radio, I realise. But it's kind of um, very slim. Slim and hairy. So okay. So skinny, skinny but hairy. So it's more about the hair, isn't it, that you, to be a bear? Yeah. It, fur, fur, fur is very strokeable, it's very nice. 
<laughs> and there seems to be a lot of tops getting taken off at your events. So, you know, I've just hilariously, I've just spent the last hour um, watching the um, gymnastics, like from oh. the Olympics, and watch, looking at photos of your bear event. Two very different sort of things, really. Yeah, we love gymnastics. <laughs> gymnastics are beautiful bodies, but yes. Yeah, there, there's certainly some bears in the discus and the shot put events in the ah, Olympics. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are definitely a few bears there, aren't there? Yeah, yeah definitely. Tell us a bit more about this uh, subculture then, because I feel like as a lesbian, I'm pretty excluded from this. It's one thing that really does separate the boys from the girls in our community, I think, isn't it really? We, anybody who identifies as masculine, so we do have trans bears. Good. And our first winner of Mr. Brighton Bear is actually trans, Taylor. Oh. And he, he, his pronouns are he and him. And uh, he is very, uh, very, very big, very hairy. He's hairy, it's got a hairy back, which is kind of like, you can almost stroke it aside. It's quite, it's quite lush. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and he, doesn't mean, he doesn't mind me talking about that at all. <laughs> so, I've, I've got a feeling that you do a lot of backstroking at these events, Graham. <laughs> I, I do. Lots it's of a common theme. <laughs> so, Kevin, what does it mean to you to, to be a bear? You know, and why, why did you want to enter this competition? For me, being a bear is it's it's my it, I it's I see it as my identity. You know, when I when I first came onto the, the gay scene many many moons ago, because I'm in my fifties now, you know, everybody was was skinny and six packed, and and, and I never felt I belonged anywhere. Being always being large and fluffy, but then obviously when I, I discovered the bear community sort of slightly later on in life, I, I really found a place where I, I existed. I belonged. I felt felt part of a community that wasn't kind of judging me based on my size and how I looked. Because there is that um, element, isn't there, certainly within the gay scene, and I'm talking more there's, about there's, the male gay that, scene, that's quite body fascist. And, you know, well, if you don't go down the gym is. and have a six-pack, you're not really part of the community. Yeah, there still is to a certain extent, and I think Graham would agree with me, within, within the bear scene as well. Um, you know, you have people that are kind of cubby, you know, the smaller, the hairy guys, who, who might be quite derogatory about people that may be, you know, two, three, four times their size. Um, so there still is is this this kind of um, fascism within the as you say within the the bear community as well. But I entered the competition because uh, for various reasons. One because I, I for the first time in my life I'm kind of very comfortable with how I yeah, who I am, how I look, how I feel, and I wanted to just I thought right I'm going to enter this competition. It's almost like a bit of validation about you know myself yeah. really, but also for fun. But I think the primary reason was was because um, of the charities like the Brighton, Brighton Rainbow Trust. Yeah, for, for really good causes. Um, and I thought, let's 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 do that. You know, the Brighton Rainbow Fund is a is brilliant charity uh, in Brighton that, that that funds various LGBTQ plus um, community activities and HIV and everything. Uh, and what a brilliant way to to support a charity. Um, and I, I wanted to also be a um, you know ambassador to the bear community. You know, they've, they've made me feel very welcome over over the last few years of my life, and I wanted to give something back really. Oh, wonderful. Well, I want to find out more about the charity a little bit later, actually. I know Graham can tell us about that. But let's just talk a bit more about the competition. How does it work? Is it like a sort of beauty pageant in the traditional sense? It, it's a, it was an interesting competition. Yes, it, it's kind of a I'll, I'll let Graham interject as well. But it was, a, you know, it started off with some online uh, online interviews and profile pictures of day wear, beach wear and then a dare to wear category. Um, so we had we had photos posted good photo online as well so when yeah. it first started oh okay yes yeah, so you didn't have to be at the event a couple yeah. of weeks ago then yeah um, so and then following that was uh, was a, a meet the contestants uh, day at the at the park um, where everyone got to know us individually and then uh, if they liked us we we had to run around with our little buckets and collect voting tokens from the audience oh. uh, which was which was fun so we collected all of our tokens. Then that we went on to uh, another event later on in the evening, which was, um, yeah, the fashion show. So in front of a live audience, we had to show our day wear, night wear, and then our dare to wear. Oh, what um, did you wear for then, that, Kevin? Were you one of the ones with the bottoms and on view? <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment, even on radio, am I? I think <laughs> they all had their bottoms and something else on view at some point. We, oh, yes, we all, we all, yes, yeah. Put it this way, a, a, a walnut shell and a piece of uh, elastic would have been more than I was wearing. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we did the fashion show and they you know, run around collecting tokens in our buckets and then 
the online voting and the uh, token voting was put together and uh, it, the winners were announced. You get interviewed as well and have to, you know, promise to solve world peace and all that sort of stuff that Miss yeah, World I does. Graham, I was saying to Graham when I won, I said, you know, don't expect me to be kissing lots of babies and uh, <laughs> want to work with fluffy animals and travel the world. So uh... <laughs> we do do an online interview, which goes out a couple of weeks beforehand. So people do get a chance to talk to and meet the person online to see what they're like. And of course, personality is important with our yeah. mister and we've always been quite lucky that we've always had good winners there are people out there who just want to chase the trophy and then once they grab the trophy disappear so we yeah. try to make sure that everyone knows that it's more than just a sash oh yeah exactly you've got to spread the word and talk to everyone on uh, virgin radio pride and stuff like that exactly exactly, exactly. <laughs> so graham what do you think makes an ideal uh, mr brighton bear i think well Looks always help, but it's not about looks completely because the looks are dependent upon who, who's looking. So if that makes sense. <laughs> so what your idea of the perfect mister might look like is going to be different from the idea of someone else's what it should look like. But they should be community minded. They should be out there like Kevin, willing, willing to help, help at our events, come to our events in the future be a great ambassador for Mr. Brighton Bear. Mm. And what was the idea behind the, the competition in the first place? And in fact, the whole weekend? It started off back in 2010 as a picnic for um, just friends, basically, in a local park called Queen's Park. They all just kind of gathered, had a picnic on a Saturday afternoon, and then went down to the pub. And that's how it started. <laughs> and now we've kind of uh, evolved into this big event. Um, we're now the second biggest event in the LGBTQ plus calendar down here in Brighton, apart from Brighton Pride. So last, last year was our 10th anniversary and because of the best laid plans, um, it never happened. Covid and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that C word, which I tried to avoid. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that, the other C word and the other C word. Um, yeah, so this year was our first chance to get get together and people being the first weekend out of the restrictions, it was very popular. We had our best ever garden party. People just wanted to get out and meet people and meet people they've not seen for over a year. And especially as, um, you know, it would have been Brighton Pride this weekend and it's all been cancelled. Yeah, so I guess people yeah, were desperate, weren't they, to attend something? It's a great shade Brighton Pride. Um, they saw having a festival going on in their ironwork studios and they've got lots of great acts going here in there throughout the next couple of months. But yeah, the actual event itself has all been cancelled and that's a great shame. But it's a big shame for the charities, aren't they? Isn't it really? So it's, thank God your event went on because at least you guys managed to raise some money, didn't you? Yeah, we, we support the Brighton Rainbow Fund and uh, so do Pride. Pride are the biggest donators and we're the second biggest donators. Wow. And the reason why we support them is because they take help take all the politics out of it for us because they sit around a table and work out who to give grants to twice a year and they give grants to small community LGBTQ plus uh, groups, as well as local HIV and AIDS charities. And some of these groups are really important, but they don't get any funding. They have had no funding for the last year. Uh, groups like Lunch Positive, who throughout the year have been doing food deliveries to people and bringing much needed help and extending off a friendship line and things like that. And all that, all that, that takes money, that takes money. But well, I was amazed when I saw online that actually Brighton Pride over the last seven years has raised nearly a million pounds for it, different it, charities. It is brilliant what they brilliant do. Brilliant amount, isn't it? Fantastic. Uh, we're nowhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> but you do your bit. The bears are doing we their do, bit. We do our bit. We and, are, we're doing everything we can. Yeah. The reason why we are able to raise money is, of course, we're set up in a different way compared to other bear events, is that we're all volunteers. Uh, yeah. Even though I'm chair bear, I get exactly the same free T-shirt, lanyard and wristband, whatever it is, whatever is going that year. I love the fact that you're not the chairman, you're the chair bear. This is brilliant. Yeah. I feel like there's loads, more there's loads more terminology to explore and more to chat to you about. So I tell you what, let's break for a tune, shall we? Is there a particular song that bears like? Do you have a, like a bear anthem at all? 
Um, <laughs> I can't think of one. No, I, can't, I can't think of one either. <laughs> Going down into the woods today. Um, <laughs> and the bare necessities. Honey, honey, honey. Oh, that's a good one. Who sings that? Abba. 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 Is it yeah. called Honey, Honey, Honey? I think so. Okay. Yeah, it's called Honey, Honey. Hey, I'm Emma Goldswell. A big thank you to Graham and Kevin. If you missed them, where were you? Graham organises the Brighton Bear Weekend and Kevin is the brand new, and I think we can all agree, very worthy winner of Mr Brighton Bear 2021. If you want to find out more about uh, the event and everything they do, brightonbearweekend.com. And as I mentioned earlier, even though we haven't got Brighton Pride this year in its normal capacity, there's still lots of uh, LGBT things going on. Looks like there's loads going on at the Ironworks. And I see that uh, lesbian favourite Heather Peace is doing an event on August the 19th. Um, It's called An Evening With Heather Peace. So a bit of chatting and an intimate music gig as well. So more information on that at brighton-pride.org. We've come to the end of another weekend outing. Thank you so much for your company. Um, a big thank you to my producer, Connor. I realised I haven't given him a shout out yet. How rude. Uh, thanks, mate, for helping put together the show every single week. You're a legend. Uh, that's it, not just for me tonight, but me for the next couple of weeks. I'm finally taking some sort of holiday. I am actually going on my first plane in um, nearly two years tomorrow. I'm off to Dublin um, and doing a bit of camping and touring around Ireland. Cannot wait. I'll be back with you on the 29th. Have a wonderful few weeks, whatever you're getting up to. Stay safe, have fun, 